Listen, first of all, my name is Greg McCormick. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor at Change Point Northeast Anchorage. Thank you, Will. Yeah. That brother just popped up out of nowhere, just bam, there he was. Um, if you're a first-time guest in here today, we are glad that you decided to join us. Give it up for our first-time guest. You could have chosen anywhere to be, but you, you came to be with us, and, and we're thankful. We hope that you find us to be family, and this will be the last church that you go to. You'll make this your place of worship. Love that. If you want to know more about our church, we have a welcome um, it's like a welcome reception we call Connect, and it gives you an opportunity to come to get to know us and for us to get a chance to know you. It's an informal setting. We'll be, you know, some cookies and some coffee there, and you can ask whatever questions about our church that you want to ask, where we're going, who, what we're about, what our doctrine is, and we'll answer those questions for you in a very informal setting. The next one is March the 8th at 1030 in the faculty lounge, just a little bit away, but I want to give you enough advance notice to put it on your calendar today. If you would just join us at Connect, you'll be glad you did. Point men. How many men in the house? Let me hear you. Yeah. I know there are more men in the house than that. No, for real. Men in the house, let me hear you. Yeah. You see, that's what I'm talking about. Listen, point men is our outreach arm of men's ministry, and it is a ministry that once a month we get together for a few hours to minister to the needs of widows, single moms, and the disabled. And we right now have a core team of about eight guys, and those eight guys are split into two teams that will be going out this Saturday and ministering to two care recipients. Awesome. But we've got a major project coming up this weekend, and we need a total of about 15 guys, right? And so the project will take about two hours. We need you guys to step up and step into this project. It is a great time of ministry and a fun time of just being together with a group of guys. All right, Travis, raise your hand. That guy back there is Travis Hammond. He heads up the Point Men Ministry. Do see him before you leave today for Point Men next Saturday. Also, um, next Friday evening is a couple's night out. Tim and Cynthia Perry are sponsoring this downtown, or excuse me, at our offices off of 4600 DeBar. Um, listen, it's only $30 per couple. We need to have 10 couples. Right now, we're a little shy. If we don't get those 10 couples, we'll have to cancel the event. We don't want to because you have no idea the special things they have planned for you. It's going to be awesome. Yes. Yes. So, see Cynthia Perry. Raise your hand back there, Cynthia, and get the hookup. She'll hook you up right after church. All right. Uh, let's see. End of the year giving statements. We have two people that haven't collected their statements, Pauline Aguilar and Krista Cook. If you are here and you haven't got your statement, which you haven't, because I have it, <laughs> see me after the service and I'll make sure you get it. Okay, after the service today, we have a reception for the elders or with the elders and their wives right outside that door. Um, it's going to be a time where we want you to just come and meet the elders and meet their wives. There'll be some homemade cookies, homemade cookies, homemade cookies. How do I know? Because I know they all made them from home. <laughs> so homemade cookies right to the service. Listen, don't go out that door. Go out this door and meet with the elders. If nothing else, just, just congratulate them, encourage them, and let them know that you're praying for them. That's important. All right, we would love to have everyone go and meet our elders after service. All right, 
And next week, as we close the, our series today, next week uh, we're going to have a Q&A form. And on our website, uh, it'll be there by the end of today, there's going to be a place for you to click on the website under Q&A and, and list any question that you have uh, about the series that we've taught, and we'll answer those questions for you uh, next week, okay? And so please do that. We want to have questions relative to what we've taught to, to talk about next week, okay? This is the sixth week of our series called To Lead. It's our final week of the series, and we're taking a look at the biblical qualifications of an elder. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is all about, the biblical qualifications of an elder. But I want you to note this, okay, because although these are qualifications for an elder, these are also qualifications that every member of the body of Christ needs to aspire to, and especially those of us in the body of Christ who are called to lead. And let me say this, every single member of the body of Christ is called to lead. Everyone. It's not just clergy. You heard Ryan say it earlier. Doesn't matter what your profession is, where God has you planted, if you're home with your children, it doesn't matter. You're called to lead. And so these qualifications are for everyone today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. All right? I'm going to take my time today because we're going to be wrapping up this series. And I want to make sure that I'm very thorough. Beginning at verse 1, are you there? Because this is the last sermon on this series, I'm going to read the entire passage for context, okay? The saying is trustworthy. I'm reading out the ESV. Mine will look a little bit different than yours if you're not. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with, the conceit, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." Now, so as I bring this series, we bring this series to a close today, I want to touch on the final three qualifications for eldership. And those are being mature in the faith, that's found in verse 6, and the ability to teach and given to hospitality, both of those being found in verse 2. And listen, I said it but once and I'll say it again. As followers of Christ, we all should be aspiring as we mature in our daily walk as followers of Christ, we should all aspire to excel in all of these areas. But, and with good reason, family, someone that's called to the work of an elder must already meet these qualifications before he's ordained. 
Now, you'll find out, we're going to talk a little bit more about why. It'll just open up for you as we go through the passage. Okay, so here's the first one. Qualification for an elder must be mature in the faith. I love the King James says, not a novice. That word mature, that word not a novice actually really means literally a young plant. It's like an immature plant that needs to be nurtured, needs to grow, needs to mature. And so Paul says a person that desires an office of an elder needs to be mature. And there's a reason. He says because a person that's in that capacity must beware of being lifted up with pride. That word pride in the Greek literally means wrapped in smoke. And so it means, and it means inflated with conceit. It, it, it means having an exaggerated idea of, of your own importance so to the degree that you cannot see yourself and you cannot see others in the same way. Hmm. Pride. Verse 6 says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride. Long time ago, when I was 18, a long time ago, everybody say long time ago, somebody was laughing. I, I heard it. I know it was, a little, it was a little while ago, all right. But a while ago when I was 18, I remember having my first job. I worked at, at, a, at a, 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 an organization called YACC. It's Young Adult Conservation Corps. It was a, it was a, um, a, a, a subsidiary of BLM. And it was a whole lot like Job Corps. It taught you how, you know, if you're a young man or a young woman, it taught you job skills, you know, warehouseman, administration, cook, uh, custodial, um, forestry, you name it, YACC was about teaching it. I remember I worked on this crew of men and women, and we worked in the kitchen. And there was about probably 30 of us. We served about 300 people every day. All right, so it, it was a machine, and we, I mean, we had our stuff together, but we were just peers, you know. Everybody worked hard, and, you know, we loved each other, had good, good respect for each other and relationship. And one day, one of the guys got promoted. I mean, boss just walked in one day and said, said uh, we're promoting you. And that wasn't me. I'm just going to tell you right now. But that guy went from, you know, just regular guy with everybody else to walking in the next day like this. And he talked to us like we were minions beneath him. One day, got caught up in pride. Listen, pride will do that. It'll creep in. It doesn't care how it creeps in. It will. Listen, the Bible tells us that pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. It was his own pride to begin with that got him kicked out of heaven. Why don't you go with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. It's back in the Old Testament. You know, some of y'all are laughing, but, you know, we have some brand new converts in here that don't know how to navigate their Bible yet. But, you know, that's why we on Sunday mornings turn and learn, Right? Okay, Isaiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. Now, I'm going to read it out of the King James Version because I like the way the King James reads. 
Here's what it says. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, that's Satan? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou said in thy heart. Now, I want you to listen to this. Listen to how many eyes are in this. How many eyes are in this passage? You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. I, 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 pride. Scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, beginning at verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, a lift up, puffed up spirit before a fall. Pride is a problem. It can be. That's why it's important for you to know that, that the leaders that have been selected here come with enough spiritual maturity to lead you in a way as to avoid pitfalls of pride that can come with serving in this important role. Anyone, anywhere, at any time, in any role of leadership can fall into this condemnation. And that's why, family, it's vital for each of us to be spiritually partnered with other strong followers of Jesus Christ that we allow to speak into our lives. See, it's one thing to, to say that you're buddy with somebody or you're a friend with somebody. It's another thing to give them permission to speak into your life. Then if you get sideways, a little out of calibration, you've given that person to, to come to you and you said, hey, listen, and say, hey, listen, man, you're a little off course. Since a little pride going on in you. How many of you are with me? It'll minimize the opportunity for pride to creep in. Proud people are blind to the subtleties of Satan's work and become destined to experience the same defeat and ultimate ruin. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, he describes the progression of this fall. He says it starts with temptation. And then it leads to entanglement that lures you deeper into lust and personal ambition. And eventually the end is ruin and total destruction. A spiritually mature person is less likely to fall into that snare of the enemy. I'll tell you something else. Time and chronological age don't necessarily guarantee spiritual maturity. I know a whole lot of young people that are much more mature than some of the older people that I know. Hello, somebody. Mm-hmm. You've met some, too. Paul, or, or the writer of Hebrews says, listen, by now you should be leading others in the faith, but you're not. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Let's take a look at this. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Are you there? Y'all are getting quick in your Bibles. I love it. I have my mark and I'm barely beating you. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. About this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk, a little hot up here, Tom, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food, everybody say solid food. Solid food, solid food, not baby food. Solid food, solid like steak. Yes. Brother, you know, brother loved to eat, right? I love this mistake. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Constant practice. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's what this is saying. It's saying, listen, you can't come into an office, a position of this magnitude and not have some kind of experience behind you. And I'd even say this. The more we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and, and the deeper our spiritual roots are planted, the more chaos the enemy is going to throw at us. So just beware of it. He's going to come at you in all kinds of ways. That ain't in my notes. This is coming straight from the throne. Mm. Okay, so here's the point. Every follower of Christ should aspire to the maturity that's found in faith in Jesus Christ. But again, with good reason, I want to hit this again. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going back and forth. With good reason, someone who's called to the work of an elder must possess these qualities before they're ordained. So they must be spiritually mature in the faith. And then they must be able to teach. Must be able to teach. This speaks of, of, of a person's maturity and their ability to communicate in a non-argumentative, non-defensive, non-threatening way to anyone who asks them about their faith or challenges them on their faith. It means as an elder, we must demonstrate the ability to organize our thoughts and present ideas accurately, to be able to explain and communicate biblical text in a way that encourages and instructs and even inspires others. An elder of our church, as elders of our church, we must understand sound doctrine. We must believe sound doctrine. We must have the faith and confidence in what we believe, holding firm to it when we are tested. And an elder must be able to defend sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, Paul writes, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who challenge or contradict it. Must be mature. Must be able to teach. And here's the third. Must be given to hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. hospitality. I know y'all are listening to me. Hospitality is a virtue that's both commanded and commended all throughout scriptures, in both the Old and the New Testament. Hospitality in scripture is defined as receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, loving, generous way. In the Greek, it literally means the love of strangers. Being hospitable refers to the way that we, we use our resources and our material possessions, the way we use the homes that we live in, the food that we eat. 
how we leverage our finances for the benefit of others. Showing hospitality could be as simple and powerful as sitting down and having conversation with someone over a cup of coffee, sharing a meal together with them, just giving your time. So simply put, being hospitable means being consistent and con and consistent and, and, and intentional in cultivating relationships with others. That's what it means. In the Old Testament, God's people were specifically commanded by God to show hospitality to everyone. Let's take a look at it back in Leviticus chapter 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Next time we have testimony service, I'm going to have one of y'all quote all the whole Testament books. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that to you. Showing hospitality to everyone. Leviticus chapter 19. Drop down to verse 9. Are you there? This is God's command to his people. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip the vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes in your vineyard. Why? Why, God? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, the traveler. Hmm. And then he says this. He doesn't say, you know, this is just a good idea. He says, I am the Lord. In other words, I'm telling you that this is what I want you to do. I'm commanding you to do it. Now, drop down, if you will, to verse 33. Once again, when a stranger sojourns, travels with you in, in your land, you shall not do wrong to him. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native, as a native, as one of yours. Treat him as one of yours. And you shall love him as yourself. Remember that because we're going to come back to it. You shall love the stranger as yourself, for as strangers... In the land of Egypt, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Listen, in other words, he's saying, you know how it feels. You know how it feels to walk into a church and nobody greets you. You know how it feels to go to a party and everybody knows everybody, but no one knows your name. You know how it feels to be in a place where everybody's all happy and it feels like you want to be part of, but you just can't get it. You, you know what that feels like. Hmm. Hmm. He says, so remember, be hospitable to everyone. Hospitality requires kindness. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. That's way back to the back. I love this passage. You there? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Everybody say self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Everybody say sober-minded. See, we already talked about those things. For the sake of your prayers, 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Now watch this now. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Have you ever watched someone that does something because they have to do it, not because they want to do it? Casey, why don't you set the props up for me? Where's Casey at? There you are. Y'all remember two weeks ago, Marshawn Lynch? <laughs> Hi, I'm Marshawn Lynch. I know y'all have a lot of questions for me. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Marshawn, tell us about the game. Tell us about going into beast mode. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Marshawn, is your team ready? Your team ready? This is going to be the awesome game. It's the best team in the AFC. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Yeah. Doing something because, because you have to do it, not because you want to do it. I know I can't be preaching in this, can I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Listen. I'm just being hospitable so I don't get fined. <laughs> I, I, I'm, just, I'm just learning the ways of God so I don't get fined. I'm, I'm just being kind to other people so I don't get fined. Yeah. You feeling me on that? Hospitality comes from the heart. That's the point. Requires kindness. When we read the Gospels, I'm about to wrap this up in a few minutes, y'all. When we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus modeled hospitality. He's our chief example. He had crowds of thousands of people following him, thronging him. Why? Because he had compassion on everyone. Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7, all those chapters... In those chapters, Jesus is, is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So we know it. He's gathered all the people, and they're around him, just crowds, thousands. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Listen, in chapter 8, he comes down from the mountain. Listen to what he does. He heals a leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He goes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. 
that evening, at the end of that evening, many came to him and were demon-possessed, and he cast the demons out. The disciples got into a boat. We're heading over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Big storm rage. Woke Jesus up. He calmed the sea and saved their lives. Gets to the other side of the sea. Met with two more people possessed with demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of them. And that's just in chapter 8. Jesus was the model, our model of hospitality. Watch this now. Treating total strangers with warmth and compassion, and gentleness, and loving kindness in a loving way. That's hospitality. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, we won't turn there for sake of time. I'll just, I'll highlight it. Jesus is, is confronted by a lawyer, a scribe, who puts him to the test. He says, teacher, what, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you know what's written in the law. How do you read it? And so he answered, Jesus says, watch this now, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you'll live. But then he, he was desiring to justify himself before Jesus. So he says, who is my neighbor? Listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 21-mile trek through some ragged, rough, dangerous terrain. Said he fell on robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Hmm. A priest now, religious leader of the day, Passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. In other words, these two men, religious leaders, church folk. Everybody say church folk. Church folk saw somebody in need, and the, 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 I, I ain't got time for that. Walked right by him. But then a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he set him on his own animal. In other words, the animal he was riding on, he got off the animal and put the man on the animal. Everybody say hospitality. Hmm. And the next day, he took out two denarii. That's that's. That's two days' worth of work. Took out two days' worth of work and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you need to spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is a, a Samaritan. This is, this is a, a group of people, a, a, a nation of people that were hated by the Jews, despised by the Jews. In 722 B.C., the Assyrian army um, went into Jerusalem, went to Israel, captured Israel. And as a result of that, the Assyrians intermarried with the Jews and created the Samaritans. So the Samaritans was a mix of Jew and Gentile. And so the pure Jews hated the Samaritans for several reasons. One, it reminded them of their indiscretion before the Lord. Jesus says, 
this Samaritan who was considered a dog in the eyes of the Jews took care of this man on the side of the road when the religious folk wouldn't do it. So he says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell on robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Again, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be hospitable. Hospitality is a quality that should characterize every single one of us in our spiritual walk, no matter how much we have or how little we have. It should characterize us. And finally, hospitality goes a whole lot further than you may think. Hospitality can be shown in many ways. <laughs> Sometimes it's simple courtesies that can make a difference, like holding the door open for someone, helping an elderly person to their car when it's icy outside, offering to babysit for free. I know there's a whole lot of folk in here with young kids say, yeah, preach it, pastor. Offer to babysit for free. Buying the person's groceries who are standing in front of you and they don't even know. All of a sudden, their grocery bill is paid. Or behind you. It'd be kind of hard to do it in front of you. But if you're in the front, what about if you're in the front and you're going through a drive-thru and you say, that person behind me, I got their bill, just give me that. Hospitality. And listen, it doesn't matter if the person thanks you or not. That's not the point. The point is, you don't do it with the response in mind. You do it because you never know how your hospitality will be used by God to impact someone's life and glorify himself. So Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I don't know if you know this or not, but angels are very real. Amen. How many of you know that? Angels are very real. I'm going to tell this story. I wish I, I, there's a whole lot of stories I could tell you, but I'm going to tell you this one because it's one of my favorites. So, so I was like, I was 21 years old, and I was a hothead. I mean, I, I, mean, I was a hothead. And I got fired from my job. Well, actually, I hadn't got fired yet, but I was put under a lot of pressure, and uh, it was a good job. And so I decided in the middle of winter, it was November, my wife was eight months pregnant. It was November, and we were going down to Anchorage because I was going to get the vice president a piece of my mind. The vice president, Ty. So I'm driving, I'm, I'm driving from Fairbanks in a 1981 Ford Mustang with a rear-wheel drive. You know, Mustangs sit real low, and it's a snowstorm in the mountains, man. So I'm driving, and it's that wet snow, and I'm sliding all around. I was an idiot. My eight-month, my eight-month-old pregnant, my eight-month pregnant wife is in the car with me. Yes, and I don't even care because I'm hot. I'm just driving, sliding around, and my wife is, <laughs> my wife is on the other side. She's Shondaline. Y'all know what Shondaline is? No, you don't know? She's praying in tongues. She's like, Shondaline, 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 Shondaline. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm driving along, and she's, she's praying, she's praying, and all of a sudden she goes, huh? <laughs> And I thought, I said, oh, man, she, she's going into labor. We're right in the middle. I mean, we're driving. We're like in the mountains, right? So she's going into labor. And here's what she said to me. I said, I said, baby, what's wrong? She said, I just saw angels on the side of the road. 
She said, I just saw an angel. Did you see it? I said, no, I didn't see it. She said, I just saw it. And here's how I knew. First of all, I, I trust my wife, and I know that God has given her the gift of discernment to see things. But the second thing, immediately, all of the tension and the fear left the car. And she just settled in. She said, I know we're going to be okay. Hmm. Angels are real, y'all. Be careful how you entertain strangers. Some have entertained angels unaware. How would you treat other people if you knew they were angels? Hmm. How would you treat other people if you knew that they were Jesus? Lance, you can bring your team up. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus has said that he's going to be the one that separates the sheep from the goats. And the sheep will go on the right side, but then the goats will go on the left. Drop down to verse 34. He said, then the king shall say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you closed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we, and when did you, and when were you sick or in prison and we visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did this to one of the least of these, my brothers, you have did it unto me. Hospitality goes a whole lot further than you may think. Let me close with this. These last six weeks, we've covered the qualifications of an elder. But these same qualifications are characteristics that every person in the follower of Christ who's called to lead should aspire to as well. To live a life that's above reproach. To be a one-woman man. Watch this now, women. You don't get off the hook. To be a one-man woman. To be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, growing and maturing every day in our faith. These are the attributes of everyone who's in the body of Christ, to all of us who are called to lead as followers of Jesus Christ. And I pray that these are the attributes that you aspire to as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray.